Hey, everybody. Good morning. So as Dave said, we are in a teaching series that is about, um, you know, Jesus coming. It's an Advent teach, uh, teaching series. The King is Born. And the last two Sundays, uh, Dale has been preaching. Uh, by the way, I just love Dale. Dale's my number one favorite person. I say that about a lot of people, though. So, <laughs> But at any rate, I, I feel like his messages were very, very helpful for us as a congregation just to lay groundwork about who is Jesus. Uh, Jesus is in the line of David. He's a Davidic king, which is like an important thing for understanding, you know, theologically how rich of a figure Jesus is, as well as the difference between uh, what it's like to live in the kingdom of God and the Roman Empire. Uh, very, very different kingdoms that are happening, and today I get to talk a little bit about uh, different ways we might respond to hearing about Jesus, um, looking specifically about one route, which is following the lead of somebody like King Herod, another route following the lead of people like the Magi. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're in the right spot because I'm going to explain it all. Um, so open up your Bibles to Matthew 2. And uh, we're going to read this entire chapter because uh, there's, there's a scripture uh, that says, do not neglect the public reading of scripture, which is just important that we, uh, we wrap our minds around like scripture. This is what we come from. This is our foundation always. So we're going to read through this whole chapter and then we're going to examine it more closely. So here's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. For he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so is fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years older and younger in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. 
After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for your scripture that it teaches us about how you came as a baby. We thank you for uh, the example of those who we can follow that are found throughout scripture. We thank you also for the cautionary tales that are there. And we pray, God, that you would open our hearts this morning to learn from you, to learn truth, to learn truth that will affect us, affect us uh, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. And we pray, God, that, um, that your will would be done here. Holy Spirit, uh, I submit myself to your guidance right now. Uh, help me to be of service in love to my church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I believe, um, yeah, when it comes to this scripture, we can learn a lot from Herod and the Magi and how they respond to the coming of Jesus. Herod brings us a cautionary tale, basically like, don't be like this guy. While the Magi are examples for us, like this, we can learn something from them, follow their lead. And these examples have, have implications, I believe, for how we mature in our faith in Jesus. Um, I'm, I think there's lots of angles we could read this scripture from, but the one that I want us to like, highlight this morning is what does it look like to be a maturing follower of God in an ongoing way? And what can we learn from these people about how to be maturing followers of Jesus? Uh, I myself, I grew up in the church. I like, went to church like a lot. There was a period in my life in junior high where I would go to church like four times a week. It was, uh, it was awesome. I, I loved it. <laughs> there was a uh, Sonic drive through uh, that was right next to church. So I mostly to ch- went to church for cherry limeades, you know. Um, but uh, it, it was just foundational. It was so important uh, for me to get to uh, follow God uh, establish some foundation, and whether that's your story or not, like, I, I think we all have something, some kind of new territory God's calling us into, some new way of maturing. Maybe you already have something on your mind, or just like, actually, I think this is the thing that God's maturing me in right now. I know I've got at least three things on my mind that I feel like God's been working on in my life right now, and I invite you to identify those things this morning, uh, and think about how this actually can call on you, and as I said, um, growing up in the church, I was in church a lot, and I've heard the Christmas story so many times, so many times. And uh, it can occasionally, after it becomes ultra familiar with a person, we, we start to tune out parts of it. Can anybody relate to this? Like, we've been around this story perhaps for a while. Maybe this is your first time hearing it, and God bless you, that's amazing. I, I love that this is your first time hearing it. Uh, it also feels like a lot of pressure on me. So, uh, <laughs> um, but at any rate, if you, uh, if you have been familiar with this Christmas story for a while, I invite you to hear it with fresh ears. Um, I think there's some new message for maturing believers in Jesus that is in these words. Um, 
and one of the most interesting things that I found while studying this passage that kind of got me re-curious is taking like a, a deeper examination about who are the people in these scriptures. Like if I could do a character sketch of the different figures in this story, what are these people like? Um, and the first person that I started to get curious about was King Herod. Um, King Herod is like a, an actual historical figure, right? He was known as Herod the Great, um, you know, for a quick history lesson, snapshot of a thing. He was a very powerful figure uh, in, the, in the ancient Near East. He was considered king of Judah. Uh, he himself was born in southern Samaria, uh, or excuse me, um, southern Palestine, which is where Judah is. But originally when he was born, he was not a Jewish person at all. He, he later converted to Judaism as uh, he was from a very wealthy family, prominent family, well-known, that was in league with the Roman Empire in a very, very significant way, close, close ties, previously married, and then for the sake of a political alliance, as he is being installed as the king of Judah, dissolves a marriage so that he can marry into a Jewish family, kind of political political conversion, like, uh, it's like, it's kind of like all that ancient medieval sort of stuff going on. That's what's going on in this story. So you can understand perhaps how uh, Herod would be a controversial figure for the Jewish people. He is a person who isn't from, from the tribe. He is a person who is uh, a convert. Um, and not only that, he's kind of this puppet king who has been installed by the Roman government. Um, and the Roman government, those were the people who are sort of oppressing the people of Israel. And so there he is, he's installed as puppet, puppet king. He's supposed to represent Judah, but also he's really there to represent the concerns of the Roman Empire. And the Gospel of Matthew uh, sets him up, uh, sets him and his family up kind of like the super villains behind the scenes in the storyline, right? Uh, so if you, if you know like Sherlock Holmes or something, I watched the BBC version. I haven't read any of the books, but Moriarty, right? Like he's this figure who's sort of behind the scenes, you know, uh, puppeting all of the, uh, the great villains that Sherlock Holmes goes against. This is how we might think of somebody like Herod. Uh, that, that's how the Gospel of Matthew sets it up for us to think like, who are these people behind the scenes who are people of power that Jesus is moving, moving contrary to? And in this story in particular, there are a few places where we see Herod really, really going awry. Um, first of all, Jesus is born and he gets word about Jesus being born from the Magi. And initially he's very, very disturbed at the arrival of Jesus. While the rest of the nation, uh, the people of Judah, are longing for the messianic coming, it's just like, finally our Messiah will be here, he sees this person as a threat to his rule. Um, Matthew 2, 3 says, when King Herod heard he was disturbed, uh, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So word's actually getting around that there's this messianic figure who's been born and this is a direct, direct uh, challenge to his rule. And so he tries to deceive the Magi to tell him where they find the Magi, uh, where they find the Messiah. 
Um, Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I, ta- I too may go and worship him, right? We can see later on in the story, he doesn't exactly go to try and worship this child. In fact, he does exactly the opposite. He goes to whatever length is required to protect his throne, even genocide, all right? So when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi because they didn't let him know um, where he was, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time when he had learned that the Magi said he was born. So what this does is it catapults Mary and Joseph into this life on the run where they become refugees in a foreign land. They move out to Egypt. Um, And strangely, what's going on in this narrative, it feels as if it's an inversion of the Exodus story, right? If you remember the Exodus story, uh, we have the people of God, strangers in a strange land in Egypt, enslaved, Um, and then God calls them out into the promised land, uh, which is Israel. In this case, we see Herod forcing Jesus out of the promised land back to Egypt so that Jesus, too, can have this experience of what it's like to be the person who is displaced, all right? Um, And I think this is crucial. The scriptures say that Jesus is a person who can really relate to our suffering, whatever it might be. He knows what it's like to be a displaced person as well. And I think there's a few implications for us in our, you know, our modern context, in our faith, if we look at Herod as a cautionary tale. Uh, first of all, and I think this is the biggest thing, is that Jesus comes to interrupt our rule, like Herod. Um, and it, it doesn't always take the way that we would expect it. Um, in this case, Jesus comes as a king who is an infant. He's a baby, innocent and pure. Uh, the Magi go, they find him, they're delighted, they worship him. But uh, that's not what Herod does. Herod doesn't actually take the journey to go see Jesus. Instead, uh, he doesn't have his rule interrupted. He maintains his rule. He holds on to his throne. And, uh, and thinking about the way that um, babies can be interruptive forces. Uh, every parent I know kind of had a moment where they were deciding, like, do we have kids or do we not have kids? Uh, because I kind of like my life as it is. And why would I choose to, like, have to be home at a certain hour and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and for a lot of parents, like there is this like a little bit of a drop of independence that comes along with this. A little bit, right? Understatement. <laughs> <laughs> and this, you know, there's some anxiety around this until the moment that the baby is born. And it's, I think especially with dads, right, uh, that I talk to, it's terrifying and disorienting. But the baby comes, life as usual carries on, no big deal, right? (laughs) No real change. (laughs) What what actually happens, obviously, is that a baby baby changes everything for a family. Uh, I haven't experienced this myself, but this is what I hear. And (laughs) 
uh, I have watched it closely. So uh, baby changes everything. I think that's probably some of the root of my anxiety around it as well as I've watched it closely, how interruptive it can be. But babies change everything and then we love them for it, right? It's just like, man, I'm, my li- I'm so glad that this life is happening. It is really hard, it is really tough, but I am so glad that this baby exists. Um, and it makes me wonder, what if Herod himself would have seen the baby king? What if he would have taken that trek? Maybe he too would have been melted by the innocence of a child. Come to, been called to worship himself. Uh, and instead, he, he kind of lives a contrary life. He, he's our cautionary tale. Uh, when we respond to Jesus, there's an important thing we can learn from Herod's, um, his choices, and that is we need to be people who will accept the rule of Jesus in our lives. Uh, this is a little off script, but this very morning, I had to accept the rule of Jesus in a very surprising way, which is I wanted to have peanut butter for breakfast. And my wife was making peanut butter cookies uh, for breakfast and used the last of the peanut butter. This is a very understandable, normal thing, right? But, dude, my, my rule was, <laughs> my co-rule, I should, <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> That's it. That's the problem right there, isn't it? Um, but even still, like, my expectations about how my life is supposed to be and my plans, and it happens in the small ways and the big ways. It's not having peanut butter there when we expect it to be there. <laughs> and really, what is it for you? Like, what is it for you? Uh, what are those expectations, the things that you want to happen? And if you were ruling the world, this is how it would be, right? We probably have those things. I think we all have those things. What is Jesus interrupting in that? Uh, Jesus is coming to rule and reign over our lives, okay? And so when the peanut butter is not there, it takes a sec. But I submit to the rule of Jesus. And similarly, when our our coworkers aren't behaving as we would hope, our kids aren't, our, uh, our church isn't, whatever it might be, right? We get to step into accepting the reign of Jesus in a different way in our lives. This is what we can learn from Herod, okay? Another set of things that we can learn from the Magi, again, I'm looking at these character sketches, who are these people? Like, the Magi, like, what is a Magi? Like, how, how, can, um, how can I trust them with a title like Magi? Like, that's not even a word I recognize. Well, let me tell you. The word Magi originates from an old Persian word, uh, magus, and it represents a priest in an ancient Near Eastern religion, okay? So this means these are people from the east in Persian land, so think modern-day Iran, most likely, but it could be farther east, but most likely modern-day Iran. And uh, these folks were considered, uh, and often it's retranslated in uh, other translations, wise men. And the Magi were respected people. Um, They were people of means, actually. If you're going to take a journey that long in that time, you better have have means available to you, right? Like, you gotta pay for the camels, you gotta pay for all of it, right? 
and these people had the means. And tradition has it that uh, there were three magi, right? Um, this is where my, my growth in the church and talking about the three wise men, right? That's where, that's an over-familiarization with this story, right? Who knows if there were three? Who knows if there were more? There could have been 3,000 for all we know. But the way that we get at the idea of there being three wise men, three magi, is because there are three gifts given and uh, assume that they didn't like pool their resources and go in on gifts together, right? <laughs> but there could have been many. Magi is just plural. There could have been two, who knows? Um, but the Magi show up at Herod's doorstep and they say, we have been following a star. Um, the scripture says, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So these figures uh, based in the East, they are uh, often Magi were people who were uh, people of the stars. They were scientists of the time and there was this weird conflation of science and astrology that ex existed in the ancient Near East. And people thought like stars were celestial uh, kind of signs of things to come and they thought that the constellations mean very specific things. So they're studying the star patterns and they see this really suspicious star that shows up in the east, one that they're not expecting to see. So they set off on this journey of faith. It's like a, a, mystical, a mystical journey, I would even say. I mean, the idea of me just seeing a star in the sky and then deciding, I'm gonna travel a thousand miles to see where that star lands? <laughs> who, what, what person gets in that mindset? It's people who are very, very uh, faithful people, actually, who believe that there's something behind this that's important. And we can tell how important it is because, and here's three implications that I wanna give for us if we're gonna learn from the Magi. We can tell it's important because of the gifts that they bring. Um, they bring their most valuable gifts. Um, and again, I, what would it look like for you to bring your most valuable gift when you find Jesus? But what they bring is, they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, these are like symbolic foreshadowing. It's like a way of saying, here's, what we, here's who we believe this baby is. Gold symbolically representing a king, a kingly figure. Frankincense, symbolically representing, um, you know, often used in worship. Even now, if you go to a uh, kind of high church experience, you see people kind of like doing the incense thing, going down the aisles. I used to be Episcopalian for several years in college and stuff, and it was such a beautiful experience. Um, and the scent that you mostly uh, smell in that is frankincense. It's a, a scent used for worship. Even back then, in that day, a scent used for worship. And myrrh is a, a scent that was used in uh, preparation of bodies for the funeral, right? So once people have died, put them in myrrh, and that's what it looks like. So each of these, again, has a symbolic foreshadowing going on, as if to say, like, hey, Jesus, we recognize you as a king. We give you gold. Frankincense, we, we worship you, actually. We're going to give you the object, the scent of worship. We're going to give you frankincense. Uh, and in the scripture, we also see that the Magi choose to worship the baby as soon as they see him. Imagine just like finding a baby and you decide to worship him, right? What faith is there? 
And lastly, myrrh, symbolically representing, we know the suffering that you will endure. Um, all of these things are very, very costly, valuable gifts. And, um, and in, due to their high value, reflect something of the honor they want to show to Jesus. So again, one, an implication for learning from the Magi is bringing your most valuable gifts. What would it look like for you to bring your most valuable gifts to Christ? I don't want to presume to know what that is for you, actually. Uh, Jesus seems particularly delighted in whatever gifts we give, so long as they're valuable to us. We think of um, the widow who gives two cents and the rich man who gives lavishly, but it's the heart of the person giving. That's the thing that Jesus is most invested in. So give the thing that is valuable to your heart, to Christ. A second implication is, if we're following the Magi's lead, is we need to journey in search of the truth. Um, like I said, likely these, these men, perhaps women too, took a journey from the Iran area. And this is probably at least about a thousand miles. Uh, a thousand miles on a camel or walking. That's not comfortable. It's not a bullet train and it's not an airplane. Um, in modern day Iran, they traveled from some, somewhere around there. And uh, hearing this, I was reminded um, of a really special experience I got to have. Uh, just after graduating from seminary in 2014, I went and did a short-term uh, short missions trip in Spain. And uh, though I was largely kind of on the Mediterranean area coast, I was um, doing more arts outreach, making music and uh, building connections and all that. It was, it was wonderful. I was really lucky and blessed to get to do that just after seminary. Um, the, the latter part of this was uh, hiking the Camino de Santiago, which is a uh, historical pilgrimage that um, stretches, man, it stretches all over this, like, this system of trails. Some go up from, through Portugal, some come from Spain. I met one guy who hiked all the way from the Netherlands to Spain, and I was just like, all right, man, I see you. That's, that's really good. <laughs> you must really want this a lot. So pilgrimages are a beautiful tradition that the church has. Um, and pilgrimages are times where we take very, very long, life-disrupting walks in pursuit of God. Um, and in doing so, we get to participate in something like the journey of the Magi, I believe. Um, we set out on a faith journey, a literal faith journey, one foot in front of the other. We look for Jesus along the way. I know along that way, there's this thing uh, on the Camino called uh, Acer Curas, which is like you, you make cures for your feet. You... Uh, you have to like take care of your feet a lot because you're hiking a long distance. And uh, it's, it's very disgusting and I won't describe it in detail. <laughs> but you gotta, you're having to endure tough things along the way. Um, at one point I was hiking along this trail and I was hiking in the rain with nothing but a poncho on. I got super sick. I had to like just stay in the same place for a few days. It was, it was really tough. Uh, several times I was just like, all right, God, I think I found you enough. Like, 
maybe, maybe we're good. Eventually, though, um, we find what it is that we're on the pilgrimage for. Uh, there's this old saying that um, kind of, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Uh, I can think of at least one example when it's way more about the destination and it's going to find baby Jesus, right? Though I anticipate there is an important piece to the journey for these magi, the really incredible moment is finding God. And this brings me to a third point that I think we can learn from the Magi, which is uh, prepare to be transformed. There, um, I used to be an uh, English teacher, and I kind of talk like an English teacher, I think, but um, there's this poem called The Journey of the Magi by T.S. Eliot. Is written um, a while back. I should know the actual date because I'm an, I was an English teacher. But, um, and the poem is written from the perspective of these magi. Uh, but it it has it tells it from the perspective of one one of these people, one of these wise men, uh, reflecting on the journey and what it was like for their life after the fact. And it, you know this this isn't the scripture, so it's not it's not authoritative. But I think it gets into that mindset and imagines it in a way that's helpful for us. So in the first part of this poem, we hear about how hard of a journey it is um, for these magi to find Jesus. It talks about traveling through hostile cities, unfriendly towns, and dirty villages that charge high prices. We've been to those places. And just as they are most regretting being on the journey, they find Bethlehem in all of its simplicity. It's a beautiful place. And they find Jesus there in the stables. And in the final part, the aged wise man continues to reflect on the journey and what it has done to him. And here's what it says. All this was a long time ago. I remember and I would, and I would do it again. But set down this, set down this. Were we led all the way for birth or death? There was birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bigger, bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods, I should be glad of another death. Part of what makes poetry great, not that I'm reading poetry all the time or anything, but I think it, it captures a feeling or a sense or a, an important point for us to digest in a few words. And these wise men, um, came face to face with Jesus. This poem describes how transformative that can be for us. The old life dies away and it kind of loses its luster. It's like, hey, we're, we kind of go back to the life as we had it, but it, it's, not, it's not the life that it once was, right? How many of you, I, I imagine a lot of us, when we came to know Jesus, there was a a way that our old life seemed to pale in comparison to knowing God. 
The beautiful thing is that we, have, we get to have that experience repeatedly as we were maturing in our faith with Jesus. We, as, as if we are witnessing the birth of the king repeatedly, we get to witness our own death in the process. Part of us dies away. Part of us is transformed in the process. The journey to find Christ, it's going to transform us. And this is something that we need to learn from the Magi. And wherever you find yourself this morning, uh, whether you've been resistant to Jesus like King Herod, and you want to kind of hold on to your rule, uh, you, you expect the peanut butter to be there whenever it's supposed to be. Or maybe you have been really, really eagerly pursuing Christ like the Magi. Uh, God bless you. You're welcome. You're in the right spot. This, this is your home. And uh, the good news that I have for us is that though we've talked about Herod and the Magi, there's a third character to profile in this story, and that's Jesus himself. So like we've asked for the others, who is he? Who is Jesus? He's the focal point of the story. The one the stars in the sky follow. He's the one that calls people far and wide on the journey to find him, an arduous journey, and he's worth it when they find him. He's the one who flees to Egypt. He's the one who returns for his people. And Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is who this baby grows up to become. This is who he is fully, the fullness of God made manifest in an infant. That's who these men have to drop to their knees and worship when they find him. And unlike Herod, he does not protect his throne. Actually, he invites us into his royal family as well. Uh, in Romans, it says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We are co-heirs in the royal family, the kingdom of God. This is not some hoarding of the throne that Jesus is doing. He's like... This is yours too. I came to bring this for you as well. Jesus, like the Magi, he takes a long journey. He's known for traveling everywhere, by foot, wandering, preaching the good news. And then ultimately at the end, he, he gives the greatest gift he can. He gives his own life. And in the Advent season, we get to remember and long for his coming again. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 
the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. As I said in the Advent series, this is about remembering Christ's coming, uh, anticipating Christmas Day when we commemorate baby Jesus with us, the fullness of God made manifest in human history. And it's also about an anticipation of the second coming of Jesus, where he will come again and he'll make all things right. And when he comes, he will come and he will rule and he will reign and he will invite all of us into that as well. He will come and he will give uh, similarly the gift of his life to us, his presence. So where you are today, I encourage you, I just invite you to welcome the coming of Jesus, to anticipate it, to long for it. And to take the journey, the arduous journey perhaps it might be. But not only that, to receive the gift that Christ coming to the world brings to us. So would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. Uh, We're grateful, we're grateful to learn from you. To learn from uh, these examples, these cautionary tales from you directly, Jesus, how you were, who you are. God, I pray that, um, that you, Holy Spirit, would do your work in this space. What are the things that you're calling us into, the long journeys? What is the gift of yourself you would have us receive? What's the rule over our lives that you want to interrupt even? You are gracious, you are gentle, you are kind. And you're our King, Jesus. We confess this in honor to you, Jesus, we pray. Amen. This teaching was recorded live at Reality San Francisco. And as a part of our weekly gatherings, we move from teaching to responding to the Holy Spirit through prayer and a time of ministry. It's hard to capture that on a podcast, but we encourage you to pause and consider how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to respond to what you've just heard. For more resources and details of how to join us on Sundays, please visit realitysf.com. May the peace of Christ be with you.